My name is Marcel Hall, and uh, with my wife Karina, we lead the youth ministry here in the uh, central region of Los Angeles Church. It's definitely an honor to uh, be able to preach this morning. Uh, Reese Neeland is uh, out of town, and so he'll be uh, coming back next week. And uh, we want to definitely pray for him to have safe travels back. Do want to make one quick announcement here? Actually, a couple announcements. But at one o'clock today, over in the fellowship hall, will be uh, the fathers' class that Marty Fuqua is leading. And so it's been awesome uh, up to this point. So uh, you're definitely all invited who are fathers or who want to become fathers uh, at one o'clock in the fellowship hall. Amen. We have some uh, some people here from uh, out of town who are former members of the Central Region. And uh, actually two moms who have come back uh, to visit here. And so we want to recognize them. And uh, that's uh, Leah Coldwell and Jenny Faganell over in the back there. Please stand on up. Leah's over there in the uh, north region of our church. And Jenny has moved over to Colorado and is back. And that is her uh, new child, uh, newborn child. Uh, Emma right there, so it's definitely good. Former Trojans. So it's always good to have former Trojans come back home. We, we are fired up about that. do want to announce one other uh, special person that's uh, here, at least special for me. And as you guys know, I have uh, uh, five brothers. And, uh, and we call ourselves the Hall Clan because the whole uh, clan of us there. And so my oldest brother is here, and uh, this is his first time hearing me speak, but I want to go ahead and uh, have him stand on up. And that's uh, my oldest brother, Duran Hall. <laughs> hey, man, he didn't want me to do that. But come on now, you really think I wasn't going to do that? Hey, man, well, let's go ahead and uh, let's pray before we uh, go into the Scriptures. Father, we're grateful to be here this morning to worship you. Uh, God, we know you are a good God, a God who is merciful and gracious, gracious. And God, we pray right now that we can learn from your word, that we can learn about you, that it will encourage our faith. God, that we will want to serve you more, that we will want to continue the good fight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of the uh, sermon today is From Rags to Riches. From Rags to Riches. And so many of us are familiar with this term. From rags to riches, mean, you know, a lot of times it means when somebody goes from, uh, you know, having nothing to uh, being rich. From rags to riches. Or somebody kind of uh, being maybe a quote-unquote nobody or, or someone unknown to being somebody special, somebody famous. And uh, can you guys think of some people, uh, whether fictional or, or, or true, that uh, stories of from rags to riches tales? Cinderella. That's the first person that came to my mind right here, Cinderella. Literally. Rags to riches, right? Okay, all right. Any others? I didn't hear all. Okay, Mary Kay. Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank, there you go. Wow, living in a car in South Pasadena there. Okay, didn't know that. All right. Any others? Yes, right here. Was that Christy? Yes. Carrie Underwood, yeah, that's for any American Idol winner, right? From rags to riches there, okay, cool, okay. Lola, Tyler Perry, that's right, his story, he has some tough, I think he was homeless at one point, right? Now he's, every movie he makes, makes a lot of millions there, okay, all right. Sarah, who, who was that? The girl who wrote Harry Potter, what's her name again? Jay who? 
J.K. something. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Harry Potter. There you go. Any others? Yes. Who was that? Pursuit of Happiness, Chris Gardner. Actually, our own John Reed has, uh, has his, his cell phone number, I believe, or something like that. And uh, actually has met him and, and conversed with him. And we're still hoping on some business deals. Still hoping there. He was the guy who was uh, Will Smith played in the movie Pursuit of Happiness. And uh, was homeless for about a year and then became a stockbroker and uh, became a millionaire. Uh, also, some, some new ones, kind of. Rags Rich's story. There's a basketball player named Jeremy Lin. And uh, first, uh, really, uh, uh, American-born Asian player who was living at his uh, brother's couch. And then all of a sudden, he gets a chance to play. And he was the talk of the town for a couple weeks. Hasn't really done too well lately. But uh, it's been a rags to riches story there. Uh, I think of uh, uh, Kurt Warner. He's another football player. And uh, he, this guy, he was, uh, he, he, uh, was actually uh, working at a grocery store bagging groceries. And a couple years later, he was winning the Super Bowl and was the Super Bowl MVP. And uh, now they actually talk of him be, uh, possibly becoming a Hall of Famer. I think he went from bagging groceries to now possibly being a Hall of Famer. That's, that's a rags to riches story. And so really why we're going to talk about this is because David, the King David, uh, is kind of a biblical rags to riches story. And uh, we'll see why here. But not just riches as far as uh, money is concerned, but riches with God's blessings, with God's uh, uh, favor, and the, and the richness that comes with being a child of God. And so uh, we've been doing a sermon series uh, on the life of David. And uh, we've been looking at David because he's mentioned in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart. And if there's a description that you want to have about yourself, that would be an awesome one to be net labeled as a person after God's own heart. And as we've seen here, God chose him to be the king over his people as a teenager. Now, uh, he's gone through many ups and many downs. And uh, up to this point, he has still not become king of Israel. And in our last sermon that Reese preached, we see David had been really in a bad spot spiritually. Uh, he was in Ziglag, and uh, he went and he repented. And uh, we get hope from seeing that story about how God still has a vision for us. And so uh, we're going to take it up in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Amen? All right, don't get quiet on me now. 2 Samuel chapter 2, I do want to mention here uh, from the last time that uh, we looked in, in 1 Samuel, what's happened is Israel is still at war, and uh, King Saul and David's best friend Jonathan have died in the war. And uh, you can look in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 1, and you can see a, a great song of lament that David wrote for them. And it's just awesome to see uh, how he spills out his feelings and uh, the connection and even the, the reverence that he even had, even for King Saul, despite the fact that uh, Saul had uh, tried to uh, murder him on, on a number of occasions for years. But yet he still holds him up in high regard. Now we we'll take it up here in 2 Samuel chapter 2. So David just found out uh, that, that King Saul has died and his friend Jonathan have died. And we'll take it up in verse 1. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. We'll stop right there. And I just want to make a couple side comments here uh, about this. Now think about this. David just found out that the king Saul had died. And he knows 
that God had promised him that he would be king. So what do you think will be going through his mind, or what would be going through your mind at this point? Cha-ching, somebody said. Bam! Here's my chance. Man, I get a chance now to be king. He's out of the way. All I got to do is show up. What's up, y'all? You guys know the promise. Let me go ahead. Let me, let me get fitted for the right crown. Let me go ahead and, 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 and take out Saul's name and stuff. Scratch it out. Let's put my name up. But what did David do? He didn't do any of that. He inquired of God. God, what should I do now? I know you promised me this, but is, the, is this the time? Do you want me to, to go and be king now? What do you want me to do? Should I stay? Where Should I go? What should I do? He inquires of the Lord, and obviously God gives him direction. You know, it's funny that, and, and uh, encouraging to see when David's doing well, he inquires of the Lord. Before he makes any big decision, he seeks God's counsel. He wants to make sure he's in line with God's will so he can have God's favor upon his decisions. There's a lesson we can learn from that, isn't it? Have you ever tried to uh, force things or rush things and they end up going wrong? Maybe it's an opportunity or a perceived opportunity, a, a job, a relationship, or some type of financial deal or something like that, and you just kind of rush into it. This must be from the Lord. The opportunity is there. But you don't really seek counsel from God or seek counsel from His Word or seek counsel from godly people. You ever do that? And you go, oh, man, that was a bad decision. Well, I think there's something we can learn from David there. But that's not the point of our story here. Let's continue to read verse 2. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahonam, something like that. I, I, I was able to say it this morning, can't say it again now. Of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. We'll stop right there. Now, David becomes king. But if you notice there, he's just in Hebron. He's just king over just a portion of the area and just a portion over God's people. And so what happened is one of Saul's uh, right-hand men, is his commander of his army, Abner, he took Saul's uh, remaining son, Ish-bosheth, okay, and he, uh, he made him the king. I did say that one correct. And he made him the king of the other tribe. So David's really just king, kind of of one tribe of 12 and, and just one little area. Now, if I'm David at this point, I'm thinking, okay, this is cool, but this is just part, God. I thought I was going to be king over all of Israel. I know that's what I'd be thinking, like, yeah, this is cool, but God, this, is that really what you promised? But yet it didn't seem like David had this attitude in his heart he goes and he seems to be content. He's fine. He accepts God. He's like, this is, this is awesome, I'm sure. And we see here that, that David is king over several years over, the, uh, over in Hebron. Now, what happened here is you obviously have David is king of one small portion, and King Ishbosheth, he's king over the majority of it. And so, what happens here from chapters 2 to 4 is uh, basically David's man and and, uh, and the, uh, Saul's son's men, they, they get together and they start fighting, so war breaks out. That seems to be inevitable, doesn't it? You can't have two kings over one people, right? And so they get into a war, and so David's side is winning the war, and 
What happened is, is Eshbosheth, he actually gets killed. He gets assassinated by two of his men in his army. And so we're going to take it up here in 2 Samuel chapter 5. You guys with me here? Are you guys able to understand where we're at, what's going on? Okay, good. 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read here in verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And he anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. David is finally king. It's been a long time coming. But he's finally king of Israel. And I want us to look here. And I think, yeah, we are studying out to David, but again, as we look at the Bible, it's not really about the characters of the Bible, but it's about what God does in the lives of the characters of the Bible. And so three things really stand out to me here about God through the story of David. The first thing is I, I see here is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. God promised David he would be king as a teenager. Now, it took a long time. But it finally happened, at least 15 years in the making for David to become king. And even longer for him to become king over all Israel. But he became king. Now God came through. He promised it. It was God's plan. It was God's will. And what happened? There were many ups and there were many downs. But God came through with his plan and anointed David as king. He granted much grace. There was much discipline to get David to this point. But yet God was faithful. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. Turn with me over to Psalm chapter 18. David learned some valuable lessons through this process. And we're going to look at one passage here that just stands out to me that I think we can learn from. Psalm 18, verse 25. Give me an amen when you get there. You guys are quick. Amen. Psalm 18, verse 25. Now, this is David writing. He says, to the faithful, speaking to God. This is a prayer and a psalm to God. He says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God, turn my darkness into light. David says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. God was faithful. David realized this. He said, okay, I've had many ups and downs, but I stay faithful to God. And what do I see in return? Well, God's even more faithful than I am. God promised it. And what happened? It came to fruition. God willed it to be done. Now, what can we learn from this? How does this apply to us? Well, the question we have to ask is, do we trust that God is faithful? Do we trust that God will deliver on his promises? Or do we doubt? Do we doubt that he'll actually come through with what he has promised us? You know, God will come through in his time and in his way. 
Have you noticed that? Now, see, we might not like that. God, we want you to do things on our terms. Can you promise this? So can you do this when I want it? God's like, no. And we see that through the life of David. He said, no, I'm going to do it on my time and in my way. But yet he does it. And maybe we're like David. Maybe we're not ready for the promises of God at this moment in time. You see, David wasn't ready as a teenager to truly be the king of Israel. He wouldn't have been a very good king at that point in time. And so God said, okay, look, I promised you I'm going to give you this hope so that you can persevere, so you can trust in me, so you can stay faithful to me. But, but it's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen next year. It's going to take some time. We need to do some grooming here. Maybe God's doing some grooming in your life. He's got some promises for you. He has some blessings waiting for you. But you're not there yet. You're not ready. You say, but I am ready. I feel like I'm ready. God said, no, you're not ready. You know, my daughter, I love my daughter. Dash. Man, she's growing fast. She's a year, you guys. I don't know if you guys knew that. But, man, she's a year already, and she's amazing this every day. But she has this little bike. My mom bought it. This, it's, it's called like a trike or something like that, right, Karina? I don't know what it's called, but it can do several different things. And so I take her out, and, and so I'm trying to put her on a little seat so that I can walk her and so that, you know, she can ride. So she gets on it for like two seconds, and, uh, and she wants to get off. I'm like, okay, so then we're walking. So I'm like, well, let's push the little trike together. So she, we're pushing it, and then she wants to push my hand away. She's like, uh-uh-uh. No, I'm like, what? So I move my hand to another side. She goes, no, no, move your hand. She didn't actually say that, but that's what she was trying to say. She said, move your hand. So I move my hand again. I said, oh, you want to do this yourself, huh? Okay, let's see you do it then. She goes, and then the thing starts going down the street. I got to catch it. It almost rolled back on her one time. I had to stop. I said, see, girl? You ain't ready for all this. You need my help. In the same way, we want, we want to do things now. Come on, God, come on. I'm ready. Give me the blessings. God's like, you're not ready. It's falling back on you. It's running away from you. You see, but we got to trust that God is faithful. He's going to deliver on his promises. It's his promises. God does not lie. We just have to be faithful. You see, the problem is sometimes we confuse our wants with God's desires. We confuse what we want with what God has promised. We say, okay, God, you know, this is what I, this is what I want. And so you said you'll give me the desires of my heart. That says it in Psalms, in the Psalms there. You will give me the desires of my heart. So we think, okay, so God wants me to have a benzo. God wants me to have this relationship. God wants me to have this Type of income. God wants me to live here. He wants me to do this. But is that really the promises he made in Scripture? Is that really what he means by giving you the desires of your hearts? I don't think so. You know, I know one of my desires in my heart for most of my life, I've had to accept it now, is I wanted to be tall. And y'all laugh a little too hard at that, okay? I wanted to be tall. I used to pray to God as a kid growing up, God, just bless me with one more inch. One more inch. I would pray that every day until I hit my senior high school and I stopped growing. I said, God, you're not going to answer that prayer anymore, are you? But God knew, hey, Marcel, we don't need for you to be tall. You know, because I was already arrogant. And I, I probably would have pursued so many different things. And my, and my arrogance would have grown even more if I was taller. And so God said, hey, look, that, that might be the desire of your heart, but that's not what I promised you. And so in our lives, we have to examine, 
is our will aligned with his will? We have to pray what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not our will, but your will be done. Make sure we don't confuse our desires with God's promises. He has many promises through the scriptures. But we have to make sure that it's truly what he wants and we're not what we want. The second thing I see here, we see God's faithfulness. But we also see God's ability to transform. We see David go from rags to riches. He went from an unknown teenager, shepherd, to now the king of God's chosen people. The king of God's chosen... Now that's a title right there. He went from out just hanging out with the sheep to now he is the man. Now that, that's incredible. We see God's ability to transform a person. He had a great heart, but he had some character flaws. And even at 30, he still has some character flaws. But we see God transform this man. How's this applies? Do you believe that God can transform you? Do you really believe it? Some of us, we've been Christians, and so we go, yeah, I remember what I once was, and now, man, there's been a transformation, but I don't believe that God can still transform me. I don't believe that God can really take me. I can really get over this sin. I can get over the, the, this, this struggle, this flaw in my character. So we're doubting that God can transform us. With God, you can teach an old dog new tricks. You see, God can transform us. You know, I said at the beginning of the year, my slogan for this year was something new for the one-two. One-two, twelve, okay, twenty-twelve, you got me there. And I believe that God really does want us to be new this year. I don't think that it's something that it happens just once. I believe that God wants to transform us, wants us to look different than where we started. He wants to look more like his son. Does that mean he wants us to be kings and queens? I don't think so. But it means he wants us to change, to grow in our character, to grow in our hearts. Turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Many of us are very familiar with this passage. It's a favorite of many people, Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's a promise for the people of Israel at the time, but I do believe it's a, the, the principle is universal. And we see God's heart and character, and we see what God, I believe, promises to all of us. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Are you there? He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says here that he has plans. And what type of plans are these? Good plans. Not to harm, but to have us prosper, to give us hope and a future. I believe that God, with those promises, wants to transform us. Wants us to be new people, a new creation. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We're a new creation. But God continues to work on us through our time. As we see in the life of David, he transforms him. And God transforms people today. We see it in the life of Peter. We see it in the life of Paul. We even see it here in the modern day. We see it with a guy like Curtis Kahn. Could have been, you know, multi-millionaire. Curtis is a very impressive, impressive individual. But here he is generous in giving. I think of Danny Reyna. You know, could have went several different paths, but, but definitely is a talented individual. But yet here he is giving his time. Has a wife, has a daughter, but yet he's investing in the youth of the, of the church transformed. 
I can just imagine what like, you know, he, he, he talks now. But when you first met him, he didn't really talk that much. We see God's ability to transform. I think of Frank Carrillo. I remember when Frank got up here and shared his conversion story a little bit. Man, that was intense. You know what I'm saying? But now to see him, to see his heart, to see him being transformed, to see the new creation that he is. The thing is, are we allowing God to transform us? Are we taking his discipline and his grace and using his opportunities and motivation to change? You see, God's doing his part, but we have to do our part as well. You know, I can give you the Bowflex. That's the little workout machine. But if you don't get up on it and use it, guess what? You're not going to get in the Bowflex shape. You know what I'm saying? God's given us. He says, I have hope. I have plans. I have all these great things for you. I want to transform you. But you got to do your part. you got to get focused. You have to make decisions. You have to follow through with those decisions that you made. And trust me, when you do that, I will meet you more than halfway. I will guide you, lead you, support you, strengthen you, pick you up, and we will get there. Because God has the ability to transform. We also see, thirdly here, God's plans are big. We see that in the life of David. We see that God has the ability to transform. He's faithful, but his plans are humongous. They're big. Becoming king for David wasn't just about David, but it was about God's people. Turn back over to 2 Samuel chapter 5. You'll see what I'm talking about here. 2 Samuel chapter 5. David became king for a greater purpose. It wasn't just about him. And we see here in verse 6, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. You guys there? Amen. Let's read. The king, now remember, he just got anointed uh, king over all Israel. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off, they thought. David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. Jump on down to verse 11. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messages, messengers to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Okay, what's going on here? You see, what David realizes is that, whoa, wait a second. This is awesome. God made me king, but it wasn't just about me. It wasn't for me. This was actually for his people Israel. This was so that I could be used as God's vessel for his plan and his will. And so what happened here? David goes in there, and you have Jerusalem. It's God's enemies are, 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 are occupying this place. They rule it. But David goes in here and what conquers it. And we know what Jerusalem is now, the holy city. And it became the capital for the people of Israel. Then he goes and he fights the Philistines and the Amalekites and, 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 he, and he gets rid of God's enemies in the area. And we see here, after King Saul, and we, we can imagine here that King Saul, when King, when King Saul was king, the people probably weren't very spiritual because their leader wasn't very spiritual. Now there was obviously some faith in God that they didn't abandon God. It didn't say, you know, Saul actually did get rid of some of the idolatry, but some of the idolatry was still around. But when King David comes in, he says, no, we got to get away from this. We have to worship the Lord. 
And he establishes, when you look at First Chronicles, David goes and he brings back the ark of God after becoming king. The ark of God has been gone. Where has it been? We don't know. But David goes and that's one of the first things he does is he brings back the ark of God to Israel. Then he leads his people to victory. But it leads the people to again start offering sacrifices and offerings at the temple. And he starts to direct the worship. And you go, you know, Reese likes to call me the director of worship. No, David was the original director of worship. He told the priest, here, okay, you guys got to do this. Okay, let's have some singers here. We got to, when we come together, we got to have a congregational service. He leads the people in worship. He writes 73 of the 150 psalms. We sing, and we are impacted today because of what David did when he became king. We might not even gather together as a worship service if it wasn't established during the time of King David. You see, God had a vision for David's life, but it wasn't just about the individual David. It was a whole big picture. He knew this is the man who will get my job done. Does he have many flaws? Yes. Am I enduring? Am I working on him? Yes. But he is the man who is going to lead my people to greater worship to a great devotion to me. And we see that, again, we are impacted today by this. How does it apply to this? I think it believes, I believe that God's plans for our lives aren't just for us. Yes, God has many promises for us. He's faithful. He will transform us. But it's not just for us alone. God wants to use us so that we can impact his people and people around us. His promises are not just to stay with us, but so that it can spread out and God can be glorified. He wants to use us for his glory, for his kingdom, his service, to serve his people. So the question is, are we using what God has given us for his glory? Are we using it for his glory? Or are we using it just for ourselves? Let's say... And this is really a big stretch. I would hope that God could do this. But let's say I could sing. I can't sing. Lord knows I want to sing. Just like being taller. If I could be taller and sing, that would be awesome. In fact, I even shared this. You know, we had a devotion this past Friday. I felt bad because I felt like I was singing too loud and I was affecting the people around me. You know what I mean? Like, man, they probably think, man, we need to stop sitting by Marcel. You know what I mean? He's off. But I would love to sing. Now, let's say I have the voice of, you know, a, 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 a male version of Whitney Houston. You know what I'm saying? I got this voice, but the only person who knows or the only time I use it is in the shower. Or let's say, I know, let's say I even have a singing career. I sing, but I don't do it at all to bring glory to God. Now, do you think God gave me this ability to sing so that I cannot use it for his glory? Why would he have gave me that talent? Why would he have this promise? Why would he fulfill this promise? And then I go turn around and not use it for his glory. You see, every one of us, we've been given some type of talent. We've been given something. But the question is, are you and I using it for God's kingdom? Are we advancing his will? Maybe you can sing. Maybe you should step up and be a song leader. Maybe you have the ability to, to with finances. You're very good with finances. Are you using that to encourage and strengthen others in the Lord? To help get some people their finances correct. You have the ability to, to do counseling, whatever the case may be. 
Are you using it for his kingdom? Using it to advance his name, for his glory. You see, we've got to open our eyes and stop thinking that our blessings are just for us. In fact, in, in uh, 1 Peter 3, God says through, through the apostle Peter, he says, look, you are to use your talents for God. If you can preach, then you need to preach. If you can serve, then you need to serve. You see, God's big picture is that we use it for his glory so that others may be impacted in this room and out of this room. God wants to use us to bring souls into his glorious kingdom. That means reaching out, using what God has given us, the opportunities to reach out and share our faith so that they can know the one true living God. God is faithful. God transforms. God has big plans. I believe if we can see this, if we can see God correctly, then that will give us hope, that will give us patience during time that we need to endure. And that will help us to persevere when we think about quitting. We will see God's blessings. Our faith will be increased. And souls will be impacted. Let us be faithful to God in return. Let us allow God to transform us. Let us do our parts in transforming us. But let's use God's blessings to advance his name, his kingdom, his will, and to serve others. Let's close out in Jeremiah chapter 29 again, because I believe this captures what we're talking about. Amen? Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll read in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile, from rags to riches. Amen.